0: Hello there, my name is Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. The appearance of barbel in Lancashire's River Ribble is a fairly recent phenomenon, certainly within my angling lifetime. Populations indigenous to the UK are more typically found in rivers draining the east and southeastern parts of England. This results from rivers like the Thames and the Trent having been connected to mainland Europe as tributaries of the River Rhine, prior to ice melt raising sea levels leading to the isolation of Britain as an island group several thousand years ago. Elsewhere, barbel were almost certainly introduced. In the River Seven, for example, The Angling Times put them there back in the 1950s a part of what they termed as Operation Barble which links us very nicely into this particular debate regarding the River Ribble as it was fish from the Severn that were responsible for seeding the Lancashire population. As a one-time coarse fish farmer for the Environment Agency I know only too well the difficulties in transporting fish around the country even in small numbers and without trying to conceal them so I can only imagine that when the River Ribble was secretly seeded with barbel, it would have been done in dribs and drabs with a few fish here and there by anglers over quite an extensive period throughout the 1960s and 70s. There is unfortunately no direct evidence of that. But we do know that anglers were responsible, because in 1974 or thereabouts, North West Water Authority fishery bailiffs caught some dropping barbel into the ribble from the M6 bridge, for which they were ultimately prosecuted. As I understand things, there was no actual law forbidding the movement of fish between waters at that time. That came into being with the NRA during the late 1980s, so the basis for this prosecution is a little unclear. Even so, speaking on behalf of Northwest Water Authority, the barbel was described by their barrister as a vile and useless coarse fish. In light of where we are today, I wonder if the powers that be would still say that now. The Ribble, as we shall see, has, or least ways had, the capability of producing some of the biggest barbel in the country, but only along quite a short section running east from Preston to maybe the colder or hotter foot, with the tidal stretch of Preston producing most of the biggest fish. To find out why, and everything else there is to know about in the Ribble, except of course for specific hotspots, I'm joined here by co-specimen hunter Mike Winrow. Now you obviously fish for and have caught a lot of very good barbel from the River Ribble. But in many ways, Lancashire barbel, which have been on the river's agenda for around 30 years now, are an even more recent item on your agenda, despite your Lancastrian
1: roots. Well, I was born in Preston in 1961, but funnily enough I actually first came across barbel in the Ribble sort of in the early 1980s. Like in those days, we used to sort of catch the bus up town to sort of fish at London Road at Shaw's Arms. And in the early years, probably late 70s, no sign of barbel in them days. But funnily enough, it wasn't very long before you started hearing about them. And we certainly had a friend that used to fish up there quite a lot. And around about 1980, you started catching like little ones, maybe about three or four ounces, and then. It wasn't very long after that I then went to university and while I was there I remember my friend sort of writing to me and he'd had a couple of £4 barbell at Elston and like funnily enough it's still a really good peg by the way which kind of tells you something I suppose but somehow by then Bob were in the river and they were kind of there in a position to be able to sort of like grow on I guess. After that, though, I sort of then moved away to Sheffield in 1983 and then ended up down in London, just north of London, sort of in Hertfordshire in 1987. So we never really got to grips with barbel in those days, plus my mates started getting married and having children and things like that. And then also the ribble started to go in decline in the 80s as the cormorants started getting to work on the silverfish or whatever. So really, you were kind of watching it from a distance... But all the time you were learning about barbel fishing or whatever, because obviously I'd never done any but I was fishing the River Lee and I came a famous stretch called Fisher's Green which even these days in the news like, I know somebody that's had a £9 4 ounce chub out of it, for example like one ounce under the record the guy actually also holds a perch record by the way as well, he won the and Specimen Cup that year, believe it or not but yes, I learned more about fishing with the barbel firstly on hemp and then, in latter years, started fishing what we call the time bomb method, which will probably explain later on, and that's like fishing with pellets and paste and so on. That was on the trend. So, finally, sort of was in a position to fish the river a lot more. So to like 2005, I was lucky enough to stop work, and I was able to come back a lot more, because up to then I used to just come back at Christmas and the New Year when conditions would be cold and horrible, or the river would be well up and oh in those days I didn't realise that's the time to go fishing for them. <laughs> we were so used to chub fishing when coloured water was the kiss of death and you were then fishing for days or whatever so yeah I'd sort of got a better method and it was just a case of getting a start and well as I say once you started fishing for them and you really worked hard at it it was well some of the catch, frankly amazing really and as I say it just built from there and finally I moved back to Lancashire like three years ago and Yet again, blimey! So yes, it's been a bit of a, a long tale, and you've sort of watched it from afar and all the rest of it. But uh, but I say, once you've finally got to grips with it, it's been amazing what you've been able to catch.
0: So we know that the barbel is an introduced species to the Ribble, and that, like all newcomers, it would have had to find its particular niche by fitting with both the terrain and the river's lure inhabitants. How then did the barbel and the indigenous species adapt and find living
1: together? Well, I think the key to it, a lot of it, is probably what happens with the cormorants. Because I know when we went down to the river in the late 70s, early 80s, down at Shaw's Arms, it was absolutely loaded with silverfish. But then the cormorants moved inland and, like, well, OK, it's a different sort of subject at all, but I guess it's probably down to the common fisheries policy and all the rest of it. But by about the end of the 80s, they'd essentially cleaned the river out of the Dace, the roach, which probably struggling anyway, actually thinking back about it, because if you looked at a river like the Trent, back in the 50s and 60s, it was a famous roach river. But as soon as industry started cleaning up, you started getting the dates and the chub came back. Then, laterally, you then got the barbel. If you see what I mean, so roach must be more pollution tolerant. So when we first fished it, we caught roach, but they tended to be. We got some one or two absolute beauties, just under two pound but we never catch any smaller ones, so they were probably on decline anyway. Then you got the cormorants, and they'd also clean out the smaller chub as well. You ended with a situation that probably by the late 80s, and my mates had just stopped fishing because we didn't really know what to do about the barble, and I used to keep nagging them, come on, there's barble in the river and all the rest of it. But, yeah, you had a river that probably, almost a virgin river, where... Whatever chub survived grew really big. Like, I've got a friend who's... The friends that have just started fishing again, and they were gobsmacked to the size of the, the chub you're getting. Like, five-pounders were common, and other people caught six-pounders. I remember one of them had two six-pounders in a day, and it was even the odd person it even mentioned seven-pounders, but I'm not that sure about that. But you also had a virgin river for the barbel, and they would have had an ecological niche to... Exploit like it's a very useful comparison, probably with the seven, where they were introduced, got a population explosion, say a bit like Xander in the fens, as well, really. And by the 70s, people were getting great big catches in matches, but ultimately, the seven produced a British record barbel in the late 90s before finally it's kind of numbers seem to stabilize. Though, actually, it sounds now. ...numbers are starting to drop again... ...so you've got a, a very much a yo-yo effect... ...but yeah you add as I say a virgin river... ...for the chub to grow very big in... ...but in smaller numbers... ...and a river for the barbel to... ...increase in numbers... ...but because they're such a peggy fish... ...it wasn't as obvious that the numbers were there... ...so I suppose that's what's happened... ...like it, the other thing I've noticed is the decline in the eels... ...we used to get loads of... bootlace eels when we first started... ...when I started fishing the river again seriously... A pound and a half, two pound eels or whatever. So they would have mopped up fry and small fish as well, like the eggs and so on. But eels have been struggling, really. But yet again, that probably gave them a start as well. What's the river like in terms of geography along the main barbel holding stretch? It's a very rocky river. That's the one thing, as I say. As you go up the river, you find it's more and more rocky. You get quite long areas of shallows. And then you'll get pools in between the shallows where it just widens out and slows down or whatever. And I think, as we'll find, in the summer you need to be fishing like in the rapids areas where there's more flow, where there's gullies and channels. In the winter, the fish have been washed out of the rapids, you need to be fishing the wider open bits. And then there's also flood pegs as well, which are sort of a different sort of breed entirely. But you can kind of see the gradual. As it goes further up towards Ribchester and beyond, you can kind of seen it rockier, but it's obviously the barble are okay with that. Now, how much further they go, I don't know. Once you get past Ribchester, it's basically game fishing all the way. So who's to say? There's obviously quite a lot more river. And I even once came across Sunday there was a plan to put a barrage across the Ribble, and they said the Ribble was a unique river in that it was the only river in the country which was essentially two rivers in one and then what they meant by that was it started high up in the moors and then it, it became a lowland river for a few miles round about Long Preston before starting all over again if you see what I mean so if Barbel did manage to get up there who's to say but at the end of the day it's, it's, all, it's all game fishing up there
0: So have the chub had to adapt to accommodate the Barbel, or has it been the other way around?
1: I think they've just had to Find a balance naturally if you see what I mean. It'll be interesting to see what happens in numbers going forward. I find myself that you catch chub of all sizes. If you fish in the slightly pacer, faster water, you will catch plenty of small chub. Yet again, it's interesting what happened on the 7 because people used to say, Oh, where have all the chub gone? But then they've sort of, sort of come back as the river's found a balance. And I suspect we'll get a similar sort of thing on the river. It's also interesting as well, is that, said all the roach and cleaned out by the cormorants. Well, the last few years, I've really not seen many cormorants. And now down in the tidal at Preston, they are getting huge bags, 50 pound bags of roach and dace at places like Church Deeps. And I would assume all the other old haunts that people used to fish in the 70s and 80s. So... From being a river that was big chub and increasing barbel numbers probably in the late 90s, early 2000s, suddenly you're getting a much more balanced river.
0: Is this then the kind of rebalancing act that all rivers must go through when something else different comes along?
1: I think it's just down to breeding years and things like that, really. Like, yet again, the the explosion of when they put Xander into the fence, okay, that's a predator, but... ...seem to be a population explosion... ...but you don't hear anything about it now... ...and... ...okay like... ...zander have been introduced into things like the canal network... ...and people are going on about that... ...but actually you don't hear people complaining like... ...I think what happened in the fens is... ...it probably coincided with a natural... ...or probably not a natural downside of the breed... ...my my personal opinion would be that... ...agricultural chemicals probably... ...affected it... ...and the zander were just introduced at the wrong time... ...but they've probably not been breeding... ...and... I do think that with some fish, it it can be surprising how rare they have a successful breeding year. Like, I've done a lot of tench fishing, and the thing about tenches, they lay hundreds of thousands of eggs every year, and they live a long time, and yet, when you think about it, in their lifetime, all they have to do is produce one male fish and one female fish to propagate the species, really. So they've laid millions of eggs, so it's mind-blowing. And we've probably come to this, but actually looking at the river... Going forward, I have to say I'm not catching that many small barbel as when I first fished it. I remember one day when I had 17 barbel, but I had seven adults and I had 10 baby ones mixed in them. But now I only catching the odd pound or two pound. Whereas in those days I was catching lots of them. So I think what happens when they breed is a lot of the fry and a lot of the eggs get mopped up. And of course the floods of this year and we've had one or two old style winters this last three or four years. They'll be having their effect as well. In terms
0: of the barbel being free to spread upstream, should they want to, are there any physical barriers that might prevent this?
1: I don't know that there is. There is one weir at the top end of Salmsby, but obviously, as I say, my mate caught a barbel in nineteen eighty-two. The two barbel then, so that didn't stop them for very long. And when you see the river in flood, like it can flood fifteen or sixteen foot tall, there's nothing to stop them. Whether there's anything bigger further up river, but as I say, it is game fishing up there anyway. I think by now they've had plenty of time to get where they're going to get to. As I say, I think the balance has already got to the point where the river from a barble fishing numbers has probably peaked and it'll just settle down to stability from now on. So we have quite a well-defined
0: stretch of the river hosting most of the barbel. But within that, there will also be preferred local holding areas which themselves will change according to conditions. What then should you be looking for in terms of a good holding area and how might conditions change that? Well, I
1: will always split it down into three distinct categories. I look at it in terms of summer pegs, which to me are slightly faster water, pacey but not really fast. You're really looking for like smooth water, Plus obviously in the summer the water levels might be very low and you need to fish where the water flow concentrates. So typically that will be rapids just above rapids, just below, maybe even in them if you can find a bit of smooth water. Also because the river is very rocky you may find that there's gullies in the bedrock or there's channels where basically all the flow is just on one side of the river and it's relatively narrow maybe 15 yards wide or something like that so they're the sort of places to go for in the summer but obviously in the winter there's more flow and they'll have been washed out of a lot of these things like the channels but we still fish there but the rapids no like the other thing to say in the summer as well is you get a tinge of color in the river as well due to algae or whatever and it's quite notable that from about September onwards as the colour starts to drop out of the river you find slowly but surely the summer pegs stop fishing and by about the end of October they're not in the summer pegs. If you're catching barbel in a peg in November you can guarantee that you will still be catching it throughout the winter but you don't get that many spots like that if you see what I mean. So yeah if in the summer you're looking for Pacer smooth water, what I would call stick flow pace. In the winter, the fish will have dropped down into the wider open pools. Like you still need a touch of pace, waggler pace or something like that, so slightly slower than a stick flow pace. But you don't really want still water unless there's. The only exception I've come across is if it's very rocky under the water. Because what seems to happen where you get rocks is you'll actually get. There's a lot of sandstone bedrock in the river, and you'll get sand gathering behind these things if you go out for a way you'll find the bedrock's completely eroded in all sorts of peculiar shapes and you can just imagine the barb in the summer rooting around in the sand and all that sort of thing so they're the sort of pegged fish in the winter apart from if there's a bit of water on in the summer the fish won't be in the rapids they'll just drop down into the slightly steadier water which is where you would tend to fish in the winter months and then the other pegs to look for is where to fish for when it's in flood and i'd define flood at certainly four or five foot up and a lot of stretches if they quick, qu- a quicker stretch even three foot. What you're looking for there is somewhere it's really still on the inside when it's right down and you really want the flow to be right on the far side and as the river rises the fish will move across the river. If the flow is in the middle of the river then it might split in, in two directions but if you know somewhere which is really still when it's down and flow flows on the far side and they'll come across the river, and then you've just kind of got to search them out on that little bit. So, they're the sort of pegs. The other thing I would say about flood water fishing, while I remember, is they won't be right under your feet. You will get chub right under your feet, but you don't tend to catch them in coloured water, but once in a while you do. Barbel aren't like chub, and they're looking to feed in coloured water, like warm coloured water. Yes, you should be running down the bank, basically. So remember that, and I tend to fish at the distance I can hold with a three or four rounds feeder, because I'm a feeder fisherman. So you'll probably find, unless it's really high, you can hold out at 15 yards or something like that, but yeah, don't drop it right in the side. don't think they're hiding out of the way, they're searching for food, and to be honest, if it's in flood, they can cope with anything, it's really up to you how brave you are, I caught barble at 10 foot up, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but at six or seven foot up, you're not so bad. As I said, the only thing to then watch out for is if it was in the summer and the river's weedy, it's just a nightmare, you won't be able to hold it. And similarly, November, December time, when you get lots of leaves coming down, uh, I suppose if you knew somewhere where they were right under your feet, you might be able to float fish, potentially. But yeah, that prevents you doing that. How does the ribble balance in 2013 compare to other mixed fisheries around the country? I've never fished the Yorkshire rivers, that would be the one that would be easiest to compare with because they're kind of like spate rivers, because the river flies up and down just like that. If you're probably comparing it with other rivers, I think you've got to look at big rivers like the Severn and the Trent and in more recent years, the Wye, they're the ones that most you will be comparing with i suppose it's down to the individual like the nature of the ribble is that essentially it's once you get past the tidal it's chub and bobble in the tidal it's different because there's carp in there and there's bream and there's perch and well you see people piking in the ribble these days which i never saw when i was younger as well plus you got the roach in the day so you will get the roach in days further up river and you look on various internet forums and if anybody trots up there, they, if they have a day trotting, they do okay, you know, like 10, 15, 20 pound bags they have good days so that they are there. But the way I fish, which I'm afraid is the standard two rods in the air these sort of days, what feed a fish or whatever and all the rest of it, I'm, I'm not going to catch them sort of species or anything like that. Just chub and barbell. But I say a fish on the trend and that's, it was kind of interesting fishing the trend. Your chub were your bread and butter fish. They kind of got everywhere. And then you either got carp bream pegs or you've got barble pegs and then on all of them you'd catch chub or whatever. As regards smaller rivers down south, well, those rivers in general are struggling really because they've suffered with abstraction like taking water out of them and fish just aren't breeding properly. And like I fished on the Lea, and all the time that I was there there was never a successful breeding year. The fish got bigger and bigger. Like one of the first ones I caught down there was about five and three quarter pound. By the time I'd finished I'd had one over 14 pound. But it took about 10 years before I caught a double figure one out there. They just got bigger and bigger and fewer and fewer. And as I say I've fished this stretch of the league which produces eight and even nine pound chub. But it is rock hard fishing. you got big name anglers and I remember Martin Bowler once fished it and he said three days he got a 12 pound barbell it, he says thank god for that that's the hardest river i've ever fished in my life so the southern rivers you can get a false impression they are not healthy but I said i think the ribble looks quite a healthy river as what i can tell i don't think pollution is a big problem you occasionally hear about things from the colder but i'm not totally convinced you may get something once in a while thins Fish out locally, but I I don't know, I think it may be just a convenient thing to blame, really. I suppose that
0: when the barbel first went in, there would initially have been something of a population explosion as the smaller fish laid claim to territory. But how long did it take for the better fish to put in a show?
1: Well, it's difficult to remember because obviously I was watching from afar, and I normally say my mate had a couple of four pounders back in about 1982, 1983. I would have thought it would be the late 80s maybe the early 90s it's kind of interesting because i used to fish the lee and until very very recently the river records went up in parallel it was kind of almost uncanny how they were just like ounces apart or whatever and i know somebody's had a bigger one now to the but it ended up at one point that the river record out of the ribble was fifteen pound fourteen and out of the league it was fifteen pound fifteen or something like that. It was uncanny. So I think that's when it probably produced the first doubles, but I would guess the explosion in doubles probably occurred when those three to four ounce fish that were being caught around about nineteen eighty ish, by the time they'd grown to maturity and they are a long lived fish. I know some people think they only live fifteen, sixteen years, but From what I've read and certainly experience of the Lee and just watching the fish get bigger and bigger until finally they started to succumb to old age, I would say about 30 years is the sort of a lifespan, even in a proper river like the Ribble. So, yeah, the first doubles probably late 80s, early 90s, but I think in terms of numbers of them, my best guess would probably more like late 90s, I would have said.
0: The current river record, caught by John Monaghan at £15.14 ounces, was taken four years ago. Would it be fair then to say that the upward progression has now peaked,
1: or might it still go even bigger yet? Well, I could be proven wrong within the next year or two, but my gut feeling is I think the explosion of the very biggest fish that had a virgin river to go at, I suspect that growth might have finished by now it's been very noticeable this last two or three years that the number of doubles that people caught has dropped dramatically you're not really getting people reporting stuff in the angling press at one stage it was almost a weekly occurrence and it's not happening now and as I said those fish had a virgin river to exploit and when you compare it like a river like the Lee, which has produced giant chub and this was a fairly short length like probably a couple of miles heavily fished by some of the best anglers in the country Piling the bait in, and yet the river records were virtually identical, and it's much warmer in the south as well. I can tell you, I've <laughs> moved back up again. So, I think that's probably the limit. And then, another useful comparison is the Yorkshire rivers. If you look at the records there, it's surprising how small some of them are. Like, I was looking last night, and there's a couple of like the River Ewer, for example, the, the barbel record there is only 11 pounds something, and other ones like 12, 13, 14 pounds. In fact, the only one where the river record was £15 plus was with the River Wharf. And a lot of those rivers, well, like the River Don that goes through Sheffield, their rivers have cleaned up as well. They're the same sort of where they've had a, a fresh start. But yeah, once you get past about the Trent, sort of £15 for a river record is about as far as you're going to get. So I think it'll probably stabilise. Like it, It's been interesting. People are starting to catch more doubles. As I said, there was this drop-off plus... The other thing that I haven't mentioned is round about 2008 it looks as if something did happen. There must have been something maybe deoxygenated the river because I remember I've talked to both the Environment Agency bailiff that bailiffs it and salmon anglers and they've seen numbers of dead barbel in the side and okay EA bailiff thought it was down to people mishandling fish and all the rest of it but I suspect there was something that deoxygenated it and since at that point the catches of the bar will drop and i've talked to other anglers and the general agreement is you're catching about 60 percent of what you were before then but then things have stabilized albeit that this last year has been a bit of a struggle but certainly the, the last couple of years before that were terrific conditions like lovely showery weather that keeps keep, topping the river with a bit of flow and a bit of colour that's what you want and certainly in the summer anyway from a barbel fishing perspective.
0: Do we necessarily always hear about specimen barbel catches though because some of the better fish are taken accidentally on worm by salmon anglers who
1: generally are not interested in the species? It's possible I've once seen the salmon angler it. he actually got a salmon as well <laughs> that day and he got a 12 pound barbel but I think The way that people fish, they will catch. It was very noticeable that I think there's something in the north that was not quite, there's not as many specimen anglers anyway because it's not that sort of part of the country or whatever. Like down south, you were almost forced to become a specimen angler if you wanted to catch fish, you had to, you know. It was, (laughs) there was a huge difference between sort of like up here in the north, you'd be lots of fish, but smaller down south, bigger, but not very many. I remember once taking a friend on this gravel pit where I'd caught a seven pound tench we blanked. He couldn't believe it. A blanking in July. Angler, a bit more laid back in here as as well and about reporting their fish. Like obviously some people do report, but when I first started fishing the river again, the number of people we talked to were talking about 13 and 14 pound barbel. And as I say, one or two of the tales I told, like there was one chap told me about one fish he'd had that had like just basically ran up river for a hundred yards or whatever. And <laughs> it was like, but he hadn't got any scales and he put it back and he says, oh, I'd, I'd love to know how big it was. And I'd have been moving heaven and earth to find out how big it was, if you see what I mean. So people were much more laid back. But yeah, you talk to people and yeah, they they certainly, they certainly catch them. It's not like, oh, the salmon anglers have some sort of advantage or anything like that. I suppose the only thing is they fish places where course anglers don't, generally speaking. And this is one of my things is, get out there and try all these little spots. It's a big wide river and if you see anywhere where there's a little bit of a run, a bit of smooth water, give it a go because you'll catch very quickly. I remember once talking to a chap by some rapids and pointing a run on the far side saying, that'd always be worth half an hour of your time and tried it about a couple of months later and weighed it out and it didn't look very promising at all. There was lots of fairly large pebbles and rocks about the place and Anyway, I got 15 in two hours. They would just concentrate on that one one particular peg. So, yeah, were the salmon anglers fish, do not ignore them. That's what I would say.
0: Whatever the reason, both the growth and the numerical explosion now seem to have found a balance, which
1: is roughly what? Well, going off my records, and as I say, you've got to look at the way I fish, which is basically two rods up in the air on the feeder with pellets and paste and all the rest of it. Over the course of a season, I tend to catch two barbels to every chub but I do obviously have the days where I do have a really good barbel day and especially in the summer you won't catch great numbers of chub, you might catch sort of five, six on a good day something like that, if you want to catch chub more you need to sort of wait till the winter when they've concentrated more and you can sort of rove around with liquidised bread like half an hour of peg and fish bread and so on and so forth As regards catches, well, even these days, despite the decline from 2008 onwards, if you find the pegs where they really concentrate on something, you can get great big catches. Like like my best in the day is 44, and I think I had about four chup that day. And I've also had other catches where I've had three or four more, where I've had 30 or more, and a few 20s. And it's not the same peg, but there's just one or two very special pegs out there. But from what I've seen, there's quite a lot of pegs where you've got a chance of catching six or seven. what I've found is, on these stretches, at any one moment in time, there's probably only two or maybe three good barbell pegs. And we're talking like mile, mile and a half of river or something like that. They do move around according to the conditions of height, and it's just a case of getting to know it. But what I have found is that... If you're on the fish and it's good conditions, you will catch very quickly. Like even in the winter, if you put the bait on the nose, you can catch first or second cast. So what you can do is kind of exploit that by trying other spots. If you're not catching within, in the summer, I'd probably give a peg about an hour and a half. In the winter, it's a lot harder to judge because the water conditions are colder and you're fishing more rope and pegs and you've got to give them a chance but in the summer you can rove along sort of semi-rove it and if you're on fish you will catch quickly and that way you sort of build up your knowledge of your stretch very quickly. To know if your reading of the swim is correct and whether
0: or not staying put or moving on is justified you have to be confident in your own ability to catch fish otherwise it could all turn out to be wasted effort. So can we now start looking and
1: getting the best out of a likely looking swim for both the barbel and the chub? If you're on a good barble peg, you will catch quickly. As I say, you can even catch first or second cast. And in the summer, I will give it maybe an hour and a half in a peg. What I've tended to find is that even in good conditions, they won't really move very far. Like if you're more than 10 yards downstream of them, you would never even know they're there. They're not like chub, they don't sort of move around. They will move a bit from further down, but even then, you can find bits where, oh, you've caught fish on a peg, and then you just move down the bank 15, 20 yards and start fishing, and you start catching all over again. So they find spots that they really want to be. I actually remember this about like, thinking about the shallow water. I once caught a barbel in some rapids, and this was in the summer. And I said, just a tinge of colour or whatever. And I put it back. And it promptly swam two or three yards upriver. And it stuck its head behind a rock. So it was in about a foot, foot and a half of water topwack. And it just stayed there. Then five minutes later, I caught another barbel, Played it out. And that fish was still there. It was as happy as Larry in about a foot and a half of water. Now, I wouldn't necessarily recommend fishing in that sort of depth, if you see what I mean. But it kind of showed that, you need to be kind of like bang on them, if you see what I mean. So when it comes to roving, you've kind of got to be impatient, but take your time as well, if you see what I mean. You'll kind of get a sixth sense. of some pegs you'll kind of know within half an hour that there's nothing there. Whereas others, you've got to give them about an hour and a half. But if it did take an hour and a half and suddenly you started catching one another, next time, start off 15 yards further downriver. Or if you're caught on your upstream rod and not your downstream, next time, move up a bit, now it is obviously hard in the winter. You need to give it two or three hours, and the other thing as well is barbel are very temperature dependent. I measure the water temperature, and sort of once it gets into the winter, my rule of thumb is like if it's if the water's like 45 degrees, which is about 7 degrees C and above, then you barbel fish. But if it's 40 or less, just go chub fishing. You might catch a bob, but have a nice day's chub fishing or something like, and then it's just in in between. But in the summer months, which I would define up to about the end of September, well, anything goes, basically. You fish on your feeder with pellets, and I take about eight to ten pints of pellets for a day. You can get through that amount. Though, funnily enough, you have a really good day, you'll end up fishing one rod and you'll not use as much. But as things drop off into the winter, you start cutting back on the bait. So actually, what I do, I just use fish meal ground bait in the feeder rather than pellets. So you've got the smell to attract them or whatever i use this so-called time bomb approach which was there was once a, a matt hayes program on fishing the seven they were traveling from ireland across to east anglia or whatever they fished on the seven at hampton load and well basically there was somebody fishing below them but the method was so good it pulled up the fish from below <laughs> so that told you what it was quite good but i'd already come across a method earlier anyway but yeah that to me is the key you've got to kind of locate where they are for for like the conditions so you've got summer pegs winter pegs and flood pegs and then obviously like the one thing you've got to watch for is the height because if there's a bit of water on you will find the fish will drop more towards the slower winter pegs like the the flood pegs are a a breed unto themselves in some ways but yeah do that locate the fish then you fish with a good method feeder and pellets take some beating in more marginal conditions you might want to start using hemp in the feeder which is a classic thing that nobody ever uses these days at one point used to the bank embedded with hemp but not these days and yeah hemp and castor or hemp and maggot or something then finally if you're not catching just move but i think it's one of them things is when you've done it and you've realized how quickly you can catch you'll then realize well why not just try it in a different peg and as i say it's such a big wide river such a long river as well that there are lots of potential spots albeit that they certainly don't all have fish like i think i'm successful about one in three or something like that you can get some picks they look absolutely perfect and you try and all you might catch is a chub or something like that or whatever but they're the three things just locate the fish fish a good method and if you're not catching move and be confident in your ability and yeah they will come quickly before we
0: split the talk along species specific lines, can you compare and contrast rubble chub and Barbel tactics
1: as a general concept? Well to be honest, you tend to find the fairly mixed up together, from what I've seen. Chub will get about the place a bit more so you will find them in slightly faster water but you'll tend to catch a smaller chub or if there are any baby barbel about that's where you would tend to catch them you also tend to find chub in slower water especially in the winter as well they're a lazier fish than barble is a best way to do it like for example when the river's been in flood and it's starting to drop the barbel are the first ones to move back out into the river the chub will tend to stay down the side more and, as I say, the classic for chub fishing is what they call the crease, where you just fish on the edge of a flow. That's where to fish for the chub. The barble you should really be in the flow, if you see what I mean. There are exceptions, but it seems to be where there's just something under the water that they really like. But generally speaking, they're mixed up. The only difference is in the winter time, when the temperature is just too cold for barbel, and you go chub fishing. And, while I say my favourite method is to rove around, with liquidised but yet again it's an instant sort of fishing thing if you've fish a peg for 20 minutes half an hour if you've not caught move on and as soon as you start getting taps and knocks and things yet again it's time to move though I have a little twist in that I carry steak with me like bloody casserole steak like you only need two or three ounces a day put that on and you'll normally nick out an extra bite or a fish or two or something like that but before you know it it's time to move on but generally speaking the chub A more all over the river in the summer you'll sometimes see a fish right on the far side topping about must be about a foot of water what on earth is it doing there you know so they get about the place but generally speaking they are in the same one like chub can be a bit worrier or whatever they will start giving taps and things like that with barbell your rod just tends to wang over you sometimes get slightly more marginal where you get a bit of a shiver on the line which kind of tells you that there's something poking around and you just Give it, but just give it a bit longer and it'll normally give you a take. It seems to be almost all or nothing. You either get rod wanging by it so you don't get anything. Seems to be the situation with barbel. It's time now, I think, for a thorough look at the tackle, separating off the barbel from the chub. Well, I think some people will be shocked with what I use for chub fishing. Because <laughs> To give you some idea, when I barbel fish, I've got two reels which were two spores, and I have 15 pounds. This is like mind blowing when we were compared when we were younger. But because of all the rocks in the river, I happily enough fish in 15 pound line for them. It's, it's actually the line thickness that matters. It's something I never even thought about until on the ribble or whatever. But you're looking for line that's about 0.32, 0.33 of a millimeter through to about 0.35, and it's just to cope with the abrasion. But I also have two spools which have £10 and £12 on, which I might use for hook links or if it's harder conditions. For chub, you should be quite happy to fish with a line of a few pounds. But I just use £10 or £12 line and I've been known to fish the £15 line and with a £10 They still buy to whatever. Like, I think from what I've seen, and I have to say I'm not actually the greatest chub fisherman in the world. The people that are really good at chub fishing are actually the float fishermen, because you, then you can sort of wind them up on feeding the maggots and things like that. But I suppose my way, I, I just like the roving along, and it's such an instant thing. But what happens is you catch them quickly, but you scare them quickly as well. They're very scurry fish. they that Isaac Walton called them the, the fearfulest of fishes, And it's true. They're scared of their own shadow a chub. So as I say, I fish really crude, but still catch them. In terms of rods, you get these twin tip rods, which are an Avon top and a quiver tip top. I have a two-pound test curve rod, and for the chub, I use it for the barbel as well, actually. I, I use a quiver tip top with something like a, a four-ounce or six-ounce section. In fact, I was once lucky, and I brought the tip of a quiver tip, and it turned it into an eight-ounce tip, and that's absolutely perfect, but yet again, it's very crude. I use that for the chub, and I use that for the barbel when it's down, and I use the Avon top, which is two-pound when the river's up so that's in more flood conditions and then i've got another rod which is a pound and a half test curve and i just use the aven top exclusively when the river's down and it just about coops within flood i do have a heavier rod which i very rarely use and the quiver tip of the lighter rod i just use half quiver tip i don't use that on the ribble at all it comes down to the fact that they're not educated whereas if you fished on the lee they used to drive you mental because you would get tugs Little tap pause, whatever, and like if you tried steak, it was yeah, you might you might whatever, but oh crack it was you will be driven by distraction. But as I say, a lot of the river just isn't really heavily fished enough for the fish to be wary. So I'm sure anybody listening to this could actually scale down my tactics or whatever. But as I say, I find it's pretty effective if it's good conditions. Like for chub fishing, they like a bit of clarity, so. You, the time to fish to me is like when it's finding down after flood and start about a foot and a half up when it's just starting to clear and perfect's about a foot up so you've still got the flow like you don't want it to be really down and low and clear because then you start getting the taps and things like that but if you rove along these stretches I think and you'll probably know from fishing the summer that there's chub there you should be looking to maybe catch 8 to 10 in the course of a day and, and I've had up to like 15 or 16 on a few occasions but whether I could catch more than that it's possible, but I don't think I could catch much more than 20. That would be about the limit for chub fishing. I'm intrigued with this liquidised bread. Yeah, it's one of them things you wish you'd known about. It came across it probably in articles in the Angling Times or whatever, and I used to get Martin James, that's a well-known ribble fisherman, used to fish it up in the higher ribble. i just fish it on an open-end feeder, and then a, a lump of flake, probably on a size 8 hook, two to three-foot tail or whatever. For the day, I... Probably liquidise about two loaves up, I would say. Cheapest white bread you can get. Best if it's a little bit stale. It makes it easier liquidising it up and it's a bit of a pain because you'll get your work surface covered in liquidised bread no matter what. Don't overfill your liquidiser. As I say, three or four casts in a peg. Cast quickly. Don't hang around. Just gauge the peg. You'll know very quickly if there's anything there and then move on. And sort of like the more open pegs, yeah, certainly don't don't ignore them. You you will find chub on pegs where you wouldn't expect to catch barbel, I suppose. But yeah, it's it's simplicity itself. Just that's all I would say to anybody is just try it. I don't think there's the number of chub in the river these days that it's really possible to settle down in a spot. I think that's the way to make the most of it. Occasionally, I'll get a spot where you might catch six or seven, but normally three or four out of a spot is what you're looking for. I, I've only. With the years I've been fishing, there's only really two spots I've come across where I felt I can settle in here for a good number of hours. And both spots were, there's a long run below you of reasonably pacey water and you can just imagine them slowly but surely working their way up. And down at the business end for the barbel, I'm a feeder fisherman and I think you definitely need to get the feeder going in. As I say, in the summer, I will carry 8 to 10 pints of pellets because if you've got two rods on the go and you, you need to fish it hard to keep the bait going in, you will get through a surprising amount. As regards to terminal tap, you don't need to be fancy. Like like The one thing I would say to anybody fishing the river is... Be very careful with your rig. You don't want to give them any chance of them snagging up or anything like that. You've got to make sure your feed is free running and that fish are barbed as hook as well. They won't come off but sometimes you get what a fish that snags up and occasionally you come back and you'll get your feeder back and the fish has gone and I always say, that's excellent, That worked perfectly. You don't want to have any chance of any bomb or feed and the fish being tethered or anything like that but when I do get the feeder back that tells me the yes, it's working perfectly but as I say I use strong line maybe 12 to 15 pound but just for the thickness it doesn't seem too much in fact the, the hook link it varies, sometimes you use a lighter one sometimes if it's really rocky I've actually used even actually stronger hook link than the main line because that's what's getting the battering and the hook, well I, I fish a tail foot and a half to two foot in the winter you might go slightly longer. But as I said, the bites you tend to get, you don't tend to get knocks and things. If you're getting knocks and things, yeah, I'll tell you you've got to do something different. But what tends to happen is you get a bite or you don't. Some people use carp hooks, but I tend to use a slightly finer one. There's these S3 hooks, so kind of a medium strength hook. They're the ones I tend to use when there's a bit of water on. But when it's down, I actually use something called an ant. It's a barbless animal hook. I think it's Camerson do it. It's like a size 8. And that will actually open out a bit on a rock. But it's a very simple sort of thing, just a running feeder and two-foot tail and just a hook. And I use halibut pellet as a hook bait, fish it on a band, make some halibut pellet paste, mould it, round it, so you've got a little bit of extra leakage. But it probably doesn't make a vast amount of difference. As I say, other people use boilies, which I'm sure would be perfectly fine as well. But as I say, I came across this so-called time bomb method years ago. It worked on the Trent, it works on the Ribble. I've seen Mattes on the telly sort of use it and it's been very effective. So really, why do anything different? As I said, the only time I would think differently is if it's slightly marginal conditions and then maybe use hemp, which I think would be a better call that that's your feed, and then use maggots or hemp, or maggots or casters on the hook. So you use two rods for your barbel fishing? I use two rods simply to, well, to cover the water. You get a lot of pegs where you can kind of, yeah, there's various spots which are worth trying to say. Anything that catches your eye, like sometimes there might even be three parts in a peg, but typically you might cast one rod in front of you and the other one 15 yards down or something like that. Like one useful piece of equipment that's very useful on the river is actually a tripod you know, like sea fishing one or more of a course fishing one, is so rocky and pebbly and all the rest of it that it sort of makes life far easier. The only other thing is there's one occupational hazard of fishing with two rods, and that is when you hook two fish at once. And it does occur quite a bit. Like, like if you do start getting this, obviously just fish with one rod. But yeah, it's quite fun when you've got two rods on the go or whatever, and uh, I say I have a little technique. What you do is the second rod that goes... Stick the rod between your leg with the reel behind your thighs and just let the fish bounce against it, and eventually it'll just kind of lie doggo. You're bent over or whatever, trying to keep your legs together, and you're playing this fish that's fighting like mad and all the rest of it. But yeah, it definitely works. About eight or nine times out of ten, you'll get your fish. And actually, the, the more fun in games, actually, more so when you're actually netted your first fish, because you obviously have to be careful with barbell, like when the water conditions are plenty of oxygen in the river you know you can put them back but you've got to take a bit of care whenever you catch one always just let it rest in the landing net for a bit let it get its horizontal and it's got its strength back and if you possibly can unhook fish in the river whenever you can you can do that on most occasions don't go dragging up the bank straight away or whatever but yeah when you get that and the best thing is simply to get that first fish unhooked put it back in the meantime you can put your rod on the rest and and because you've kind of under a bit more control you can just keep an eye on the other one but as i said the fish will tend to just bounce away because you're not pulling back if you see what i mean as i say more times you'll get it but it's um, it's interesting when it happens or whatever oh my god what do i do now now a lot of the barbell
0: stretches on the river are controlled by clubs that said there are as i understand it still day ticket pegs in some of the prime areas
1: there's four day ticket stretches on the river but there's two fairly long ones and two fairly short ones but the long ones are there's one at the Tickle Trout which like by the motorway bridges, and then there's a short stretch just above it which is a bonsai nursery like all these stretches are on the internet if you search for them you'd find them quite quickly and there's two stretches at Ribchester there's a a short one in Ribchester Village Centre which is part of one of the Radek stretches and then there's also a, a long stretch above the bridge at Ribchester which I've not fished for some time but yet again, it's a long stretch. It's on the Ribchester side of the bridge, by the way. I believe there's also a day ticket stretch at Mitten. But I think that's only after the salmon season is finished. So that's from the 1st of November onwards. I've never actually fished it. I need to be a long walk and all the rest of it. But sort of one that might be worth having a go for the chub in the winter time. I could imagine that being, yeah, one of these days you'd give it a go. And then the club stretches, there's about four or five where you can sort of join instantly, like working downriver, Warrington anglers have a stretch at Hurst Green, then at Elston, which is where my mate caught them barbed them years ago, that's now shared by Wigan and District and St. Helens, I don't know their full name, then down at Preston, Southport anglers have essentially two stretches, they've got the stretch at Church Deeps on the Church Deep side, and it goes up towards the bottom of Mellings Wood, And they've also got a stretch below London Road Bridge where we yet again where we fished all the years ago and that goes down to the mouth of the Darren. And then there's another Cheshire club called Bay Moulton. They have the Ribble downstream of Haveny Bridge on the golf course side all the way down to London Road. That's a very long stretch indeed. Um, You can get just a Ribble only ticket for them and I believe you can get a day ticket as well. It might even be on the bank. Then finally, there's free fishing as well. Like it, There's some, at, some above London Road on the opposite side to the Bay Moulton side, and then also below London Road Bridge at Frenchwood, and also below the Mouth of the Darren. And I know somebody that lived down the Continental who, well, I, I've never seen the pictures, but apparently there's photographs of him with uh, with Barbel in his front room where he fished at the Continental, you know. <laughs> it's a well, well-known, famous pub sort of further down river. So yeah, there's plenty to get you started and then sort of like take it from there. That's what I would say. To help put what you now see as your main local
0: course fishing target into some sort of national perspective, give us a bit of an insight into what you've caught, what you've seen caught, and what you know has been caught from the river over recent times.
1: Oh, cranky! Where do you start? As I say, I've had some very big catches over the years. The best I've had in a day is 44. But several days I've had 20, 20 or 30, and not all from the same peg. I would say once you've got to know a stretch, and as I say, you've you've worked your way along, you've fished the likely spots, and you've got to know it. I think you should be aiming for maybe six or seven in a day in the summer in good conditions. So as I say, you've got to learn your stretch, but once you've found where they are and where they are in certain conditions, I think that's quite possible. In the winter, I would say you're aiming for probably three to four on average in good conditions. Like you're looking for the sort of conditions when the weathermen are saying it's mild for the time of year. When they say that, that's the time to be going. There's a quite a a big drop off between good conditions in the winter and bad conditions. And certainly, I think if you catch more than six or seven in the winter, you'd be doing really well, actually. It's just that they've dropped down from where they are in the summer, where they're more concentrated and they're more spread out and the conditions are colder. But it can be done. And in comparison with other rivers, like you actually get a lot of articles these days about the River Wy, for example, which has become the latest sexy river for people to fish. And you've got all these big name anglers like Martin Bowers, as well, doing articles from the Wye. And when I read them, it's uncannily the same, if you see what I mean. They, they say, oh, you know, we would like, they catch very quickly and move along and all the rest of it. Yeah. But I think people would be gobsmacked what you can get from the river. There's, there's just a lot of people tend to fish the same sort of pegs year round, especially the more wider open ones. They may be the ones in the winter, but during the summer, well, you talk to some people and they catch some after dark. And I just think, well, what's happened is. The fish aren't there during the day, but they go foraging after dark from where they live during the day or whatever. It's a big river with a decent to good head of fish is what I would say. So if you catch it right, you can do really well. But you've just got to be prepared to to work a bit and try bits where you never see other people trying. And at times you can be amazed what you find out there. There's just so much river out there.
0: What about future expectations, both
1: personally and for the Ribble Barbel as a species? Well, when it comes to going forward, well, as I say, things have stabilised, but I do wonder a bit about going going forward. Like, obviously, it's good that the roach and the dace have come back and people are getting big catches at Preston and so on. The one thing I've noticed is that I don't think they've had any fantastic breeding years for quite a few years. It was very noticeable sort of when I first started fishing the river again I was catching these three-quarter pound fish that were probably working backwards, probably about three years old and that was probably about 2003, 2004 so it could do with a good breeding year I have to say and obviously they don't live forever that generation of very big fish I suspect that might have sort of come to an end and then the other thing you've got to watch out for is predators on the river like obviously there's various otter release programs going on and you, you have heard things further river of people seeing otters and people point out tracks on the bank but you don't know i don't know whether people say they definitely are like i've seen mink for definite on the on the river. further down i'm afraid you do say it's not politically correct and all the rest of it but there are numbers of eastern europeans and i, I do have to say that what i would call the preston stretches You're not catching the number of chub that you were and if they're fishing with spinners and plugs, they will catch them. I remember last year I was fishing a peg and got a couple of chub out of it and then I moved up and then somebody turned up. They weren't Eastern Europeans and he just wound the plug through this peg and he got a chub first cast. And I've also seen on the lee, I remember once watching somebody fish, just winding the plug off this really fast shallow water, and it was winding it up at 100 mile an hour, and all these little chubs were chasing this plug. So I do think that they will be having that sort of effect down there. It, it is getting quite noticeable, I have to say. So we'll have to see. As I say, I do think we need a good breeding year fairly soon, but at the end of the day, whatever's going to happen is going to happen and your own personal bass, are they likely to be toppled? I think it might take some doing. <laughs> both in terms of numbers, because I say some of the catches we've had, uh, that has been absolutely mind-blowing. In terms of sizes, I've had a couple of 13-pounders, but they were both six years ago now. They were right at two days apart at the end of the season, funnily enough. I had one of 13-12 on the 12th of March, had two 11-pounders the following day, and then I had one of 13-5 on the final day that was mind-blowing really when you think about it something like that certainly it's been notable this last year or two people are starting to catch 10 pounders now and the odd 11 pounder and that fits in with what i've been catching but as time goes on you may need to just adjust your sights down if you see what i mean that's my gut feeling anyway no regrets then at moving back up here no no Yeah, there were other reasons, obviously family and friend reasons as well. And to be honest, I'd have my fill of fishing down south as well. Like you'd, as I say, you get a false impression from some of the um, papers, like the size of the fish. And it it was all the species. They got harder and harder, but bigger and bigger. Like, for example, I've mentioned the barbell, and it started with a five-pound, ended with a 14-pounder. But with tench, I'd never caught a five-pound tench when I moved down south. And big gravel pit I used to fish... When I first fished it, it took about two years before I caught my first five pounder. Ultimately I caught an eleven and a half pounder out of it and a ten pounder as well. For whatever reason fish in the south have been struggling with breeding and things like that. So yeah I've come back and as I say when you came back I was, I was coming back for a few years once I'd stopped work. And oh catches were great and then once you lived here it was even better. Like okay this last year it's been a funny year so we'll have to see how it goes or whatever. But yeah no regrets at all. And final question, was it both right and a good thing
0: to introduce Barbel to a river that had evolved in terms of balance to suit a different mix of species?
1: Well I might have slightly controversial views on things like this actually because at the end of the day we've got an homogenised world or whatever. I remember I went to Canada last year and I found Himalayan balsam at the bottom of some creek. So to some extent these things are probably just going to happen no matter what. There are certain species that take over the world, they just out-compete them. It's like the old grey squirrels and the uh, and the red squirrels. But in terms of the Ribble, I suppose the one thing to remember is that the Yorkshire rivers have always had barble in them because they flowed east. As it says in the introduction, they're only native to rivers that flow east or whatever. But it's only the other side of the watershed... And the EA's EA been stocking barbell left, right and centre. And, of course, you're getting things like beavers being reintroduced into Scotland. So they are an indigenous species. So if they'd not been introduced by anglers, it is quite likely the EA would have introduced them anyway. I, I'm not convinced they have an effect on the salmon. I doubt they get far enough upriver to affect the breeding, though I don't quite know where they do do the breeding. So, yeah, it was likely to happen. Plus, interestingly... The fact they never got there, thinking about it, you always kind of get this old wives' tale about eggs being transferred on birds' legs and things like that. Well, there's been several thousand years have gone by since the end of the Ice Age, and it it obviously hadn't happened, but obviously when they were in there, they found somewhere they really liked. So yeah, I think anything that's indigenous, it's kind of okay. Like, whether I'd want to be introduced into Scottish game rivers is another thing entirely. I don't think you can go that far, but... Obviously, you're probably kind of at roughly the northern limits anyway. You know, they are ultimately a Mediterranean fish. As one last thing is, don't overestimate how hot it can be and catch them. I remember down on the lee, and you can have blisteringly hot summers and people putting brollies up to protect from the sun and the bar will be flashing away in the peg or whatever. So they don't mind it warm anyway. Just a
0: case then of giving them and all the other species time to adapt and rebalance accordingly.
1: I think that's the case, yes. I don't think you can say there's anything on the Ribble where they've had the effect. You've seen that the roaching days have come back, big style. The chub have had to find a different balance. At the end of the day, there's only so many fish a river can support, and the barbel will be here to stay. They're not going to go. But there are benefits. Like I have a friend that's just started fishing the Ribble again, and he's been gobsmacked at the size of the chub you're catching. And actually, funnily enough, in recent years... You're not catching as many big chub or whatever. I think they just don't live as long as a species, or whatever. When I started fishing the river again, catching a lot of four and five pounders, whereas now there's not quite as many. You sort of I mean, but there are certainly like even a couple of days ago, I roved along on one of the stretches. I got 13 chub smallest was about a pound biggest was about four pounds so they are in there but as i said the days of old when people used to get 100 pound bags from like they used to catch them under the motorway bridge and there was a a spot at london road where i think they grouped together for safety from the cormorants. i think it's unlikely to get that i think my biggest chub catch since i've started fishing the river again is probably about 50 or 60 pound and i've roved along and i've had 15 or 16 and it's been a day when I've hit the bigger ones in summary then a specimen river rather
0: than a numerical or bulk weight river though still perhaps in a state of transition with the various species vying to find sustainable levels the marble introduction has obviously been a factor here but probably not the only one as environmental legislation has its effect on water quality with the knock-on that that brings in terms of fish species mix and what goes on out at sea also having an effect on the ability of cormorants to find sufficient food to keep them off our rivers and lakes. Aging fish populations and spawning successes will also have the say. A case then and watch this space. So many thanks to Mike Winrow for making us aware of these factors and for the guided tour through the Ribble Barbel fishing scene.